Hello, and welcome to the show Gold Squadron Gays. It's the podcast where two Star Wars-loving gays break down each episode of their favorite Star Wars TV shows, while also being gay as hell. I'm your host, Bradley Brower, and my gender this week is Hit It, Max! <laughs> yes, so true. Yes. Yes. Is that right? Did I do it? You got it right! Okay, you got good. it right. Immaculate. I'm Charles Rogers, and my gender this week is Avar Chris's girl boss hallway murder scene. Period. Period. Oh it, my god. It beat out Boba Boba Fett Bantha Breeder by this much. <laughs> this much. Avar Chris, girl, I hope you are well. <laughs> I support nervous. women's wrongs. I truly do. We love that. That's feminism. That is feminism. Um, hi, I'm Mel. I use they, them pronouns. Um, and my gender this week is Thundercats Inspector Gadget Arm. Um, I don't know. <laughs> Y'all know Thundercat. He's I'm, I'm old enough. I'm old enough. I am obsessed with that gentleman. So seeing him in this episode, I was like, tee <laughs> Amazing. Yeah, Mel is joining us from RuPalp's Pod Race. Uh, Mel, do you want to tell us a little bit about RuPalp's Pod Race, where we're borrowing you from? <laughs> yeah, um, I'm on loan <laughs> um, from RuPalp's Pod Race, a queer Star Wars podcast. Basically, we're just five very annoying gay people, um, and we talk about Star Wars. Um, and I'd like to think from like a critical lens. Um, it's very fun. We have little segments, including gender of the week. I th- thank you so much for uh, humoring me. Um, Thank you for letting me. I've always wanted to do it, actually. <laughs> like, low-key, I've, I've always wanted to do it. So I was like, oh, that just works out. <laughs> I've also stolen a variation on Is It Legends or Did I Just Make It Up? Yeah, I listen, I, I support it. I think more people need to look at Legends and say, is it real or did I just make it up? <laughs> I, I'm constantly thinking that when I think back on Legends. Like, there was an incident a few weeks ago where... Um, I confused Lumpawaru with uh, Lobaka. Uh, and there was like, for a brief moment, I, I was like, did Lumpy become a Wookiee Jedi? And then I looked it up and I was like, no, he didn't. Why am I remembering Wookiee Jedi? Maybe I just made that up. And then by chance, the next week, I stumbled upon the page for Lobaka and I was like, oh no, I didn't just make this up. <laughs> I, I think I mentioned Rupalps about at least once a week, probably. Yeah, probably. Uh, they're absolutely fantastic. If you imagine a, a, like a chaotic group chat, but make it a podcast, that's basically RuPaul's Pod Race. We're just some gay people screaming into the void, and sometimes people hear us. It's great. <laughs> Before we jump into the episode of the book of boba fett we're not going to do news and we're not going to do a thing charles fucked up this week we're going to do a new segment called charles berates bradley for fucking do you want to tell the people what you fucking did bradley Uh, okay i guess so i i did a thing um where i went on my uh phone my amazon account and i downloaded a 30-day free trial of Audible, and I downloaded just a tiny, tiny little book uh, called The Light of the Jedi, and I listened to the whole entire thing before telling Charles that I did it. Fucking, he's sitting here. We are, like, having whole conversation. I'm having whole conversations with our guests about the High Republic, and fucking Bradley sitting here 
fucking sabak face on. Like, <laughs> yeah. It's giving Martian Rowe. It's giving Martian Rowe. Bradley is Martian Rowe. That's why everyone hates him. And now I know who that is. So now, like, when you say names like that, I can go, oh, I know who that is because so, I read So hold book. on. Two weeks ago, when I told Clayton that he should make one of his drag outfits, Lorna D., you knew yes. who I was talking about. Yes, the I whole did. I, I goddamn knew time. <laughs> and I you didn't say like a word to anyone. Oh my goodness. I mean, that's part of the fun of it. Um, so yeah, I yeah, I know I had finished it by then. So yeah, I uh I knew who that was. I hate you so much. What did you think <laughs> of it? Um, okay, let's see. Short term. Um, I actually liked it a lot. Um, I thought it was a really different approach on um just star wars in general i thought it was like a totally wild like i was not expecting what i was expecting i don't even know what i was expecting from reading it um i will say though that i i've never done audiobooks before this so it was a learning curve i did have to like kind of listen to the first couple chapters and i didn't really know what was going on and i was like what i don't understand like what's happening and then once I started getting into it and I picked a speed that I like to hear the author read at, I think I kind of got it more um, because you can adjust the speed levels on the right. audible thing. And so I did a slightly faster talking, which I kind of like better. Um, it makes the action more and I don't get sleepy when I listen. You know what I mean? Cause like if the author's like, they walked down the road like that makes me I can't I can't pay attention like I will fall asleep I will look at something else I'll do something else but if I can hear him and he's like you know Bell Zedifar jumped over the thing and da, 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 da. then I'm like oh okay 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 I can pay attention for so. literal literal weeks literal weeks since I <laughs> I first got into it because Tempest Runner which is the High Republic audio drama got me Mel they're making like chef's Little kiss chef's motions kiss. with yes. their hands yeah. uh, at the mention of tempest runner uh lord of d you did nothing wrong at all but ever since then i was like i've been getting into audiobooks and i was like oh bradley you know you should try out audiobooks mm-hmm. i think they'd really help with the fact that you know you have a little bit of difficulty following along when you actually try to read the text. Did you know, Bradley, the same guy, Mark Thompson, who reads the adult High Republic books, uh, he actually reads the Thrawn books. So fun fact, I already know this. And do you know how I know this, Charles? If you read Thrawn, if you listened to Thrawn, did you listen cur- to Thrawn? Okay, okay, I'm currently listening to Thrawn. You motherfucker! About, I have about eight oh hours left. Oh my god, you... <laughs> Cricking fucking bantha fucker. Fuck you, Bradley. Fuck you. Fuck. Oh my fucking god. You waited till now on the recording to tell me this. <laughs> the Mel, trauma. I, Mel, I, I am so sorry. You had to this, but let's I be had real. To, You've listened I had to, to have a gotcha you know, moment. Yes. Oh my god. Oh, so yeah, wow. I'm, I'm reading Thrawn. Um, I, I actually, okay, so I don't want to be like this or that because they're totally different, but I do like Thrawn better only because... The difference, I think, between them is I think Thrawn only follows, as as far as I am, two stories. You know, it follows Thrawn and it follows uh, Price. I like that it's just like it switches back and forth. It's not super complicated. High Republic, it was like this group, then this group, then this group, then this group, then this group that's dead now, then this group, then this. You know what I mean? I was like, oof, it was a lot. And it took me a minute to get there. 
Yeah, later on when it splits off, like like there's a point from Light of the Jedi where it kind of splits off into some different stories and they mix the characters around. Yeah. I almost think it becomes a little bit easier to follow. It was, it was yeah, so uh, much. Yeah. Mel, our lovely guest this week, put together a High Republic reading order, actually. <laughs> mm. So, uh, Bradley, I will share with you Mel's High Republic reading order. Nice. I am working on a, a chapter by chapter reading order, but I'm waiting for wave three to come out. Mm. That's oh my god, because I want to read it in like actual chronological mm. order. Okay, well, but... I'm not that devoted, but <laughs> um, I like where your head's at, I like the uh you know, the enthusiasm, unfortunately, that I'm is obsessed. not for me. <laughs> I'm obsessed. I have now recorded, Bradley, two bonus episodes, and I'm working on a third just about the high... Re- okay, so, yeah. so there, there we go. go. There so you go. Bradley that was our like- Bradley's Book Corner, where we talk about Bradley reading the audio, or listening to the audio. Bradley's <laughs> Book Corner. Going to make Bradley's Book Corner a recurring segment. Please, God. I'm here for the day that he finally reads Dark Disciple. I'm just it's saying, on the Audible. wish list. I, you know what? Honestly, Audible I don't sponsor mind. us. I honestly, if they sponsor us, then I won't have to pay for it, and I'd be like so fucking happy. I'd be like, yes, um, because honestly, I'm I'm at the premium membership, so I get the title a month, the one title a month. It's like fourteen dollars a month. I'm like, shit, holy, I can't, I can't afford that. Um, so we'll see how far that goes, but um, I don't know because I'd rather just like spend $14 a month and you know get the credit rather than drop $20 on the audiobook you know what I mean like just save money mm-hmm. a little bit and only I'm only going to read one a month anyway so the only reason why I'm even reading two this month is because it was two credits if you sign up with an Amazon account so well we'll talk I have some tips on reading the High Republic for cheap yeah I full disclosure did read basically all of Thrawn through Audible of being like okay I've got my two books and then my yep. third one what if I just returned the first one? I know that's dirty, but I was like, <laughs> "That's really funny." I might actually do that. That's actually we got, look. We do what we got to do to survive and consume. Oh, good idea! I might do that. I mean, I am definitely not endorsing gaming the system, but I'm not not endorsing gaming the system. Right, right, right. All right. Well, we will revisit this in later <laughs> episodes of Gold Squadron Days. Uh, this has been Charles Berates Bradley. <laughs> We're doing something for 10 minutes at the start of the episode. Uh, let's talk about Book of Boba Fett before I fly a plane ticket to go out and beat him over the head with one of his Funko Pop shelves. This week, Boba Fett and Fennec Shan team up to get Boba's fire spray ship back. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Mel, what's one thing you liked about this episode? One thing you did not. Um, I loved fennec shand um i'm i'm a fennec shand enjoyer of course but i specifically really enjoyed um the the best friend activity of uh stealing your dad's car from the place in which it is impounded <laughs> right and one thing you just like um hmm. um i think tonally there's been like a lot of shifts between the episodes and i think it's just a matter of like who's directing um but I finally think that this episode had found its footing in between like being funny, but also being serious. Um, so I mean, that's, I know that's ended up being a like, but it's something that overall I've kind of disliked. And finally it felt like, okay, we're doing fine. Also, additionally, can we talk about how Thundercat was like, okay, Fennec, you have a new tummy, but also I'm going to leave it open to the sands of Tatooine. Super hygienic. That makes sense. Right? Very safe. 
very thank you. You, thank you, you could put glass there, Chief. You could put fiberglass or something <laughs> there, and, exactly. And then you could see it and like it could be modern, cool still. Modern problems require modern solutions. Exactly. So, Charles, what is one thing you liked and one thing you didn't? Uh, one thing I liked, uh, I really liked the the present day stuff, the stuff with Black Kersantan. I kind of knew it was coming, but I appreciated that they they took the little time at the end of this episode to slow down, characterize Black Kersantan a little bit, catch us up on him. Uh, Garso Whip gives more backstory if you haven't read the comics to what his whole deal is, and there's some interesting stuff. So rather than him just showing up and being like, Boba, I work for you now, they did a good job of characterizing like this is what Black Kersantan is actually about. I thought he was just going to be a minor character, but they're really shaping him up to like actually have some stuff to do, which I think is personally cool. Uh, also, I might be a monster fucker, but we'll get to that. Is it monster fucking if it's in Star Wars? We're like, in the universe, they're not a monster. They're just a guy. Just a little yeah, guy. They're just a, just guy. a guy. They're just a guy. Just a guy. Uh, we have established on the bonus episode that released today uh, that Star Wars is ruining everyone's sexual spectrums uh, because of Black Kersantan, Geode. Uh, <laughs> no one knows what's real anymore. <laughs> Star Wars Fair. is like, Gaslight Gatekeep Girl Boss are sexual spectrums. Mm-hmm. Right. And frankly, mm-hmm. we love it for that. One thing I disliked, it, it's not something the episode could fix. It's something the episode ne- as a necessity has to exist to do. Uh, and I disliked it again, like Mel, I'm, I'm going to say that this is in the broad context of the show. I had a lot of bad things to say about last week's episode. And one of the bad things I had to say about it was it felt like a lot of setup with no payoff. This time they did a little bit better job of they're clearly setting stuff up, but there is an internal payoff. But this episode still felt like at least in the present day sections, we're setting up, we're setting up, we're setting up. We promise you it'll get good later. We promise you it'll get good. We promise you the crazy shit's going to start. And then I feel like I'm still waiting for that. Like, I'm glad that we're done with the flashbacks. We've resolved the flashbacks. Uh, Personally, I felt like they could have maybe given us a little more time in the flashbacks particularly since we're not quite sure where the five years is gonna fall uh i choose to believe it's when he was with the tuscans we don't know i maybe they could have given us one or two more episodes with that but it's hard to say uh but my dislike was i did feel like there was again a lot of setup in this episode and it's not really starting to pay off yet bradley what about you one thing you liked and one thing you didn't um let's see one thing i liked um funny enough i love the um the scene where they break into the kitchen um i I don't know why just everything about that scene was just a chef's kiss unintended um because (laughs) i love you know the robots and i just i don't know they're just all funny and it's good easter eggs and just fun stuff and like i like how it, it is like a nice again balance of there's funny moments it's not too funny it's it's still a serious scene because they're breaking into the palace, but it's like eh, here's a little bit of comedic stuff, you know, like not too much, but it was there. So I like that scene. Um, one thing I didn't like, I think I I didn't like 
the half and half of the episode um that it it, because it felt very front loaded with flashback the final flashback and then the second half was just strictly like you know it was it was cut in half essentially and i don't know if i like that as much um because i kind of like when it kind of goes back and forth it's like a nice pacing um so i don't know it because when i watched the second half i felt like the second half was much shorter and that was some of the stuff that I really liked because it has Black Grisanton in it, you know, it has, you know, Garza in it, which I love, you know, all those characters. So it's, it's kind of almost disappointing if I don't get them longer. Because um, the one thing I do have a complaint with this show is that I feel like we're just not getting enough of each character. Now, to be fair, maybe going back when we see all seven at once, it'll feel better. I don't know. We'll, we'll have to see. All right. Bradley, you want to take us into the the first segment absolutely so chapter four begins with the back to flashback where we see boba scoping out java's palace sharing a meal with his bantha and coming across the almost dead fennec shan from the first season of the mandalorian title card the gathering storm uh mel i have to ask you directly uh when you saw the title the gathering storm did you also immediately think the rising storm i was watching it with my partner and we are both very much so obsessed with the high republic so as soon as that that we lost our minds because we had already drawn the comparison to to elzar and redacted and so i was like hell yeah we're getting into it i can't wait for i don't know the republic fair on tatooine, on tatooine. oh my god Ugh. So the, the question is, uh, who is the Love Victor side plot in <laughs> the, <laughs> the two Gamorians? It's the two Gamorians, Got obviously. Got obviously. Yes. They're the Love Victor uh the lo- teen angst meets the Titanic side plot. <laughs> oh no. Oh my goodness. So when I saw the Bantha, I was like, I love them immediately. I would die for this Bantha. And and I was scared to think that because I felt the same way about the Tuscan child. My first reaction was I would die for this child. Uh, and then what happened over the course of the show? And then I was like, oh God, nothing better happened to this fucking Bantha. <laughs> oh my God. You, you thought it was going to die. I, 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 I thought it was going to die. I, I was so happy when it didn't. Because it reminded me like, one of the toys I had as a kid, I was actually going to pull it out and I, I just didn't have time. Uh, but I actually did have a little like Bantha that had like hair on it. Uh, and it reminded me of like, just for some reason, it reminded me of that toy from my childhood. It made me happy. I also was very obsessed with the Bantha. I really enjoy Boba's relationship with animals. He's giving Disney princess in terms of like, mm. he keeps on like, acquiring creatures and being like you're my best friend um and i I don't know i don't know there's a certain like softness he has with animals that like i think a lot of people especially online have been like boba fett's supposed to be this badass why is he like doing the little like a bantha thing and like Mm -hmm. hanging out with all these little creatures and it's like because he's just a dude he's he's living life he's turned a new light turned a new leaf like he's He's out here. And then Fennec Shand is the badass that you're looking for in terms of characterization of like, I'm going to punch right. a bitch. Like, I, I, that critique has always rubbed me the wrong way because I'm like, 
Boba's just a little guy. He's a little working class lad who's like, all right, now it's time for me to become my own boss. For real, for real. And Fennec is the stoic badass who's like, I'm going to kick shit and take names. The only real characterization of Boba that we have outside of this is in the comics. What, what stuck out to me is in the comics, he's always working. Like, I don't think we ever see him having any downtime. He's like that dude that's like always at his job and his job is his identity. And then the Sarlacc happens and he's like, uh, it's like him getting fired. And it's like, who am I outside of that? And the answer is uh, a, a dog parent. <laughs> I love that. And you know what's funny too is I, I didn't realize this until just now. I was earlier tonight, I was watching um, the second first and second episode I was just rewatching them just because and I'm noticing that like Boba strictly like has relationships with women um not men like in his life like it's just interesting how like his how he's shaped everybody's like oh he's such a badass because blah 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 but like no he Fennec Shand is always around him you know the Tuscan warrior uh or a saying when he's a child you know what i mean it's like all these different female people who are like shaping him and making him who he is i just thought that was so interesting because i was like he's not necessarily like a quote-unquote badass he surrounds himself with badass women and then animals who are really nice and then it's just like he has these nice connections so i don't know i just thought it was funny i just pointed that out not to spoil the rising storm but i will say that fennec shand and boba fett's relationship reminds me a lot also of a character that you meet in the rising storm and elzar man um charles you may know who i know exactly about. who yeah. you're talking about my bff uh queen of my heart bisexual icon we love her we stand her where is she in wave three who's to say uh to off say? off doing her happy thing i hope yeah. and not doing involved fine. in the events of wave yeah. three please she's on vacation yeah, I think also something that's interesting, you've brought that up of like the the people he surrounds himself with. I think Boba, since like the Clone Wars has had this like story about like the dangers of rugged individualism almost of like, okay, I was isolated from literal birth because all the clones are like me, but I'm built different because my dad says so. Um, and then is orphaned and it's like, oh, well, shit, I really am different now because I don't have a dad. And Aura thinks like, well, what if you became... Uh, I'm, your workaholic. Dad I'm your dad, I'm your dad now, now and you're a workaholic right. and you're gonna try to kill mace windu um <laughs> and then he gets thrown in jail and then he comes out and he's like okay well i'm just gonna focus on work because this is the one thing i have that is stable in my life and then <laughs> that's one way to get fired getting hit in a, in a jetpack so hard you die in a passion um han and- solo human resources coordinator <laughs> <Right>. <laughs> Oh my gosh. HR has taken <laughs> taken matters into their own hands. I guess it's HS because Han Solo. Anyways. Uh, oh point no. Is, <laughs> point is. Um, but now he's like, okay, I have this new outlook on life because the Tuscans bring him in and are like, hey, you know what's really cool? Having a community, having like kinship with other other people. Um, and he's like, wait you're you're so right you're so right and so he like builds this group of people he amasses an army of girl bosses i mean fennec garza um drash that little the little mod Mm -hmm. girl um and i'm just like who is gonna be who's the who's the not the icing on the cake but like the 
the panache at the end, the the garnish. I'm just, I'm not saying it should be Omega, but it'd be cool if you could meet us. I'm saying it should be Omega because like I've, t- I've said this to Charles before, like I think that where they're building this character is like he has he has to make his own family like that so far that's kind of what the theme is of these shows is make your own family and with you know mandalorian it was kind of make your own family but being a father so this one's different because there is no father he kind of doesn't have that and he doesn't need that because he has these women in his life so his connection is like how do i make my own family with these women around me and i feel like to complete his character arc he needs his real family which is his sister. And I think that that would like, or his quote unquote twin. I don't even know how, we don't really know everything yet because I guess they don't want to, you know, tell us everything with Bad Batch 2 yet. But I think, I don't know if it's necessarily in this show. I don't know if it's necessarily in Bad Batch, but maybe in the future, maybe possibly Book of Boba 2. I don't know if that ever happens, but if it does, maybe it's in the future and maybe Omega comes in and is like, hey, what's going on guys? I'm here. (laughs) I'm going to, before I, I drag us bodily back on topic, um, uh, digressions happen, tangents happen on this show. Welcome to Gold Squadron Gaze. I do think it's interesting when you look at it through a queer lens, like with, to a degree of queer coding, in the way that now that we know what Boba's motivation is, because when we talk about a sense of found family and a sense of community, particularly the sense of community, when I was in Jagai's and Jedi talking about resistance, this was also something I felt Resistance did very well, where it showed the bonds of community and the bonds of being part of a group. And if you look at Boba, where he's like, I'm going to surround myself with people that have been shit on by now, his is more of like a capitalist sort of thing. Like, I'm going to take these people that have been ruthlessly exploited and not exploit them the way that he's surrounding himself and finding purpose in this community that's building with others like him who have similar experiences than him, reading it through that lens, it does remind me a lot of, you know, when I came out and started getting involved in the LGBT community. So looking at it through that lens, the GSA uh, Rainbow Street Brigade suddenly makes a lot more sense. The Moss Eisley or wait, Moss Espa <laughs> GSA. I oh my god. That's why their bikes are rainbow. It all it's makes all, sense. Now. It's all it's all gay. It's Brian for Pink Milk is right. right. There. Boba Fett is gay. It's it's ours now. We have claimed Boba Fett. <laughs> so true. A uh, couple of fun little references and things throughout this sequence. Um there's a little bit we can see in the opening of what kind of looks like the crate dragon skeleton. Mm-hmm. Maybe Mel's mic didn't pick it up, but I could see their, their lips go. Oh shit. Oh shit. Yeah. Yeah. Like at the beginning, I kind of looked at, I was like, is that the, is that the crate dragon? Ske-? Like it might be a Bantha skeleton, but my, oh, first I thought, thought, I thought that's crate. what I saw. Or there's a part where he it might've been a Bantha walks skeleton. by a Bantha skeleton. So yeah. I don't know if that's the same. You one. know what? It may be a Bantha skeleton, but I'm still calling oh. it a reference to crate dragon skeleton. <laughs> The Jabba's Palace, I don't play Battlefront 2 because it's not really my thing, but apparently it's very similar to the Battlefront 2 map in the layout of it, which is interesting because there's a piece of concept art we'll talk about at the end. Uh, I was more reminded of the Lego games, to be honest, particularly Lego Star Wars 3, The Clone Wars, where you go into the hangar at one point 
It's different, but that was the first time I had seen like a hangar in Jabba's palace. Let's talk about the the Boba coming up on Fennec sequence because Mel, you have listened to the show. You are aware that I'm an insane person. I did some side-by-side watching. Oh, you did? I compared both the Flares sequence and the sequence where he steps up to see the difference between Mm -hmm. the two. So the Flares, the Flares don't quite line up. Uh, It's two Flares that are fired but there's more time between them in Mando because uh, Toro actually fires uh, another flare in between them that hits the ground. Mm. So there's one flare that fires and then Toro fires and it hits the ground. And then I think Mando fires another one, I believe is the sequence of events. Uh, So the flares don't quite exactly match up. The feet are where it gets interesting though. So in the Mando, there are some minor differences, but they match up decently well. In fact, I think they might be using the same shot from Mando. Ooh, I have to go back and watch it because I'm not sure. Yeah. Like, I think they may be reusing that shot. Uh, in the Mando sequence, there's the shot of, of the feet walking up and then it's reverse on Finnick and whoever it is starts to kneel down. In Book of Boba, we see the same shot and then on Boba for a bit, and then he starts to kneel down and we see his upper body. But it generally seems to line up. What's interesting is that in Mando, there's a device beeping and what sounds like spurs. Right. And they're not in Book of Boba. And one of the clues that that was Boba Fett was actually the spurs. So I have a theory. And the theory is that when they shot that, they didn't know who it was and mm. decided in post-production that it was Boba Fett because yeah, they so were they gearing up for Mando yeah. season two and they added the spurs in. Everything needs to be planned out massively in advance. Right, of course. Uh, <laughs> everything has to be exactly like the MCU, which as we know is completely planned out in Perfect, advance. Perfect, immaculate. Perfect, immaculate. They have a 10-year plan. Everything's great. They're definitely not making this up as they go along. <laughs> Hmm. I mean, I have a better theory, and my theory is that uh, the first set of boots that come up to Fennec's body is uh, not Boba Fett, and it is a different person. They go, "Mm, nah, I don't want to deal with this, and they walk (laughs) away, and then literally two seconds later, before he notices, Boba Fett walks up, and then we get the scene from Book of Boba. I think that's actually what happened. So the guy with the spurs left... And we never saw who that was mm-hmm. um, because that person was Cad Bane. So he, oh, shit. <laughs> he walked away and he left. <laughs> Bradley, you, you can't put Asajj Ventress and Cad Bane in everything. Yes, I can. And they will be in the finale of Book of Boba <laughs> season oh, one. Oh my God. Ugh. I mean, now that I say it out loud, I mean, Cad Bane in this show wouldn't necessarily not fit. So, I mean... I feel like he and Fennec have some beef that needs to be... That's what I'm saying. So he saw her lying there, and he was like, nah, she's dead, I don't want to deal with this, hopefully she'll bleed out, and then he walked away, and then then Boba came up moments later and was like, oh, I can help you. Like, And that's actually what happened, that's my headcam, so there you go. 
The last thing that I want to bring up with this sequence, as I move rapidly away from Bradley's terrible <laughs> theories, uh, I did look up because people were like, oh, Finnick's dead, and there's no way she could have survived for that long, yada, yada, yada. I did some cursory Googling. Uh, can, how long does it take a stomach wound to kill you? Uh, and from what I read, and it wasn't very much, it seems like it basically had to do with how severe the wound is and, and how much blood is getting places blood shouldn't be. Mm. And to be fair, because it's a blaster bolt, wouldn't that instantly cauterize? It would cauterize. So the concern is is bleeding out and bleeding into the stomach. So if the blaster bolt is cauterizing and causing her to bleed internally slower, mm-hmm. uh, it is it is fully possible for her to have survived. And I think it would make sense then for Boba to put her tummy down on the bantha because I know a lot of people were like, damn, he just like threw on like a rag doll onto that bantha. But like he's applying pressure to the wound while he's like And yeah, applying Ubering pressure to... to the wound. And and right. if that's where the wound is, you know, maybe it would make sense to turn I this is not first aid advice. I am not a first aid person. Please do not do this in a crisis. I am just speculating. Uh it might make sense to turn her upside down so the blood pools away from the organs, mm-hmm. if that's the case. But yeah, it's 100% possible for her to have survived, you know, because it was what, sun up when he shot her? I think. That may be pushing it, it may be pushing it a little bit. Everything I read yeah. was about 12 hours, but it's close enough. She has the yeah. power of girl boss. She does have the power of girl boss. (laughs) It's it's akin to the force. She is some sort of immortal being based on her appearance in Bad Batch versus now. Her and Bo-Katan Kreez. I want to know what their skincare routine is. Girl, please tell me. It's girl bossery. I'm telling you. (laughs) Keeps you alive. There's something in there. You have to gaslight and gatekeep and suddenly your skin is just clear. Boba takes a wounded Fennec Shan to the local robot plastic surgeon's office, where some guy from the Matrix modifies Fennec and saves her life. When she comes to, she agrees to help Boba recover his fire spray ship to repay her debt. Uh, Speaking of that dude, uh, the Matrix-looking guy, there's a couple of neat cameos in this. One of them is him. He's a dude named uh, Steven Bruner. And he is a bassist for a band, uh, which I did not Google. Yeah, he's Thundercat. He's like a delightful gentleman. I'm obsessed with him. If you haven't listened to his um, uh, tiny NPR Tiny Desk little concert, do yourself a favor and do it. He is, his like, ability to play the bass is fucking insane. The idea of seeing him just like be like, okay, well, you have money word i'm gonna just put on this new arm and give you a new tummy <laughs> it was truly life-changing oh man yeah he's he's apparently the bass player for kendrick lamar and uh flying lotus uh now i checked he was not in the matrix i uh, was kind of hoping he turned alas. out to have been in the matrix uh revolution revelation or resurrection yeah. whatever r word matrix read the read the matrix but yeah, that's who that is. But who I thought was the cooler cameo. So Boba walks in and there's a couple of mods that are looking at him inside the, the building. Mm-hmm. Uh, and they're mostly like 
clearly Hollywood extras in their 30s trying to look young. Uh, but there's one random actual teenager there. Do you know who the actual teenager was? I know who it was. Who was it? That is Ming Na Wen's son. That's very iconic. I love that. So that is I feel Ming like Ming Na Wen's son, son I Cooper. Feel, I feel like Ming has uh, reached a new level of our Disney trifecta as now one of her offspring is in a Disney thing. So therefore, now she not only does she have the Disney trifecta, now her son has started his own Disney trifecta. Therefore, if he creates a Disney trifecta and he is now in a Marvel thing and he is in a Disney thing, then that means Ming will achieve this like Disney new... trifecta dynasty. I don't know what it what you would call it, but it's just gonna be crazy. The soundtrack for this scene, I just want to point this out. Absolute bop. That's kind of why I said Matrix, because it sounded like a little cyberpunky. I was like, what is this? Like, it's a little different. And I forget who composed the music. Ludwig Göransson wrote the theme, but Joseph Shirley wrote the score for it. Joseph Shirley's really leaning into the kind of Ludwig Göransson, like, it's Star Wars, but like, make it rad. Like, make it a bop. (laughs) I'm here for it, personally. Can we stop to appreciate that Boba Fett takes Finnick Shan to this mod parlor, then takes her all the way back out to where she got shot to put her on the ground and makes a fire so that she could wake up for no other reason than apparently the drama of it. Uh, It's almost like one of those things where it's like you wake up from like surgery is like you don't have a lower half now like that's like that's (laughs) kind of like the drama where we're at right now with this because think about it she looks down and she's like holy shit I don't have a stomach anymore. (laughs) The David after dentistification of Fennec Shand is truly unparalleled I wish she had been like whoa (laughs) I she 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 adjusted pretty quickly she was like okay much to think about anyways what are we doing here what's up she's like i will i will just tuck tuck that away um we're gonna process that we're gonna bring it out later uh with some spotchka and uh and and some like romantic comedies or something uh we'll process this but we're gonna deal with this first whatever's going on here i know the practical reason is they already had the set set up they Mm. wanted to use the set again Right. I don't care. It is funny to me that Boba's like, you know what would be super dramatic? If she woke up in the same place with no stomach and I didn't tell her what was going on. <laughs> Listen, he is the son of the man who hired, who got hired by someone and then he hired someone to kill someone else with a lizard or a l- slug? Uh, Whatever slug. that creature centipedes. is. Centipedes. Two centipedes. Yeah, he is kind of lazy. Uh, although in in zam in zam's defense she does try bomb first oh true 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 which i mean fair you tried the easy option it's, she didn't just jump straight to the centipedes i would love to know what the relationship between boba and zam was because mm. in legends she was very close to to Django and they were not like they weren't a couple or anything but she was around enough that there's points where in the Boba young adult books he's thinking about how like maybe she's the closest thing I've got to what a mom would be 
because I don't have one. And then one day she just like goes away and never comes back. And Django comes back and just refuses to talk about it. And Bubba's like, okay, that sucks. She's like the cool gay aunt who like takes you to the store to Barnes and Noble and like lets you buy whatever you'd like and then disappeared into the mist. That is, that is the that is the real tragedy of the prequels. Truly, truly, is is they had all these wonderful campy characters and then sidelined them for the main trio and it's like, come on. Uh, I found it interesting that she didn't really know who Boba Fett was, but come to think of it, Boba Fett in his armor never takes his armor off. Right. So how are people going to know what he looks like? And, and Mel, I see you laughing, but I'm going to address the obvious counterpoint. Regular clones have advanced aging. So it has easily been several decades since someone has seen a, what would be a clone at Boba's age. Because Rex is like old man beard by yeah. the time of Rebels. And Boba was like, a college student. I do enjoy the idea of like two episodes from now, during the finale, during the heat of the battle, she looks over to Bob and she's like, shit, are you a clone? Right. <laughs> yeah, I want her to like realize it like halfway through this show. I want her to eventually just be like, whoa, what? You're a clone? Like, you know what I mean? Like I want her to do like a double take halfway through and just be like, huh, I thought there was something familiar about you. Like, you know. She's like, I kicked the shit out of a guy like who looked like them. you one time. Yeah, like five <laughs> yeah. of them. Well, because Bo-Katan clocks Boba as a clone immediately. Immediately. Immediately she clocks him as a clone. Finnick, I mean, you could almost make the case that maybe the Bad Batch were the only one she'd encountered, and she really only encountered Hunter, and half his face is a weird, like... Tattoo or something. Like, he has face paint on, so he's kind of disguised, and yeah. you could sort of make that case, but like, I don't know. It made sense to me that because I saw some complaining like, oh, she should know what a clone is. And there's a lot of reasons she maybe wouldn't be expecting it. I mean, to be fair, it's like also like the war happened when she was a teenager. Like, that's true. She did. She didn't. She was like, oh, she's probably just take care. <laughs> yeah. And like how how often are clones taking off their helmets around civilians? True. Very rarely, I would imagine if they're on active active duty because yeah, I think very rarely do we see them take it off when they're not like on their ships or in their that's barracks a, or something. That's a good point because I think one of the plot points in Mando was he said like, I can't go into that facility because the cameras or the droids or whatever would recognize my recognize face, the face scan would rest my face because in all their databases. So it would make sense on a military aspect that people would recognize him. But you're right. I think Fennec, it isn't that weird that she doesn't necessarily recognize him because she's not a person in the army like she's just an assassin so she kind of just deals with stuff all, all the time so yeah that's not that weird i guess i, I can buy that she would ne not necessarily clock him or if she does she doesn't care two other little notes i have for this sequence um i'm gonna complain for just a second mm -hmm. uh about a serious thing i'm hypersensitive after episode three like i'm super hypersensitive about this show and when boba called the tuscans the sand people it made me eh, because sand people is a actual like race racially charged racist term that's used in 
reality, which is why a lot of Star Wars media has started to move away from it because it's just not good. I was disappointed that one slipped in there, especially since Boba, you just spent five years with the Tuscans. You should know better. So this is my PSA to say, please don't call them the sand people. It's an actual like real world racist thing that's thrown around people of color. So please don't do that. That's my note for that. Less serious note. Uh, I do like how, I guess still serious, but not that serious. I do like how Boba Fett takes some culpability for what happened with the Tuscans. When he's explaining what happened, he basically said, you know, I got them killed. And that's something I was thinking in, in episode three. I was like, you know, they told him repeatedly, like, our way is to hide. Our way, we have a certain way of doing things that we survive. And he was kind of pushing them in a different direction. Like, taking down the train was 100% the right thing to do. Pull 100% the right thing to do. But he was kind of pushing them in that sequence with the chieftain to be like, you guys need to get out there and fight. You need to be more visible. So for him to turn around and say that was part of why he thinks they got killed, I was like, that's an interesting dimension on sequence of events. Yeah, I, that's actually kind of one of my complaints with the episode was I wasn't really quite sure how he's taking responsibility because from what I can tell, the attack of the biker gang on the Tuscans was there's nothing like tying him to the them. You know what I mean? Other than the fact that he beat them up in a bar, but like they wouldn't know he wasn't a Tuscan. You know what I mean? So like, well, I think it's that he was sort of pushing them to leave hiding and he did it too quickly and targeted the wrong people. And that got the Tuscans targeted directly by this swoop gang. I do have a theory though. And Finnick is like, oh, random biker gang took out the Tuscans, uh, that doesn't sound right. right. And I'm sitting there going, dude, we all know the Pikes had them massacred. It's For the sure. Pikes. That's, can I even present that as a theory? Because I don't even know if that's a theory. I think that's just a plot point that's going to be re- technically revealed in the next one, but it's like we know it already. So I don't know. This is a mouse tool we'll use for later. Yes. It's a surprise tool that will help us later. The Pikes definitely. Well, because I mentioned last week he was like super when the Pikes, or it was two weeks ago when, no, it was last week when the Pikes showed up and he was like, we are going to war. And I was like, hmm, it seems like he has a really emotional reason for wanting to kick the shit out of the Pikes. I was expecting them to reveal in the flashbacks that the Pikes Mm. were the ones behind the Tuscans massacre. And then, like, they didn't. They ended the flashbacks. I'm like, okay, so why does he hate the Pike so much? Yeah, I I think it's just, like, one of those weird cohesion things where it's like, that, I I agree. Like, if we had gotten some of this information that we got in this episode, last episode, I think, one, would have felt just a little bit better because, like, I did count second by second how how long we we stay with the, the Tuscans getting massacred, and it's less than a minute. So, like, it feels weird that it's, like, Yes, we're going to kill this group of people and just kind of like, we'll unpack that later. But like, we've got three episodes or whatever left. And like, when are we going to get to do that? 
Yeah, and part of the reason I loved the campfire scene so much in this episode was Boba and Finnick getting to unpack some of that, where he's talking about feeling culpable for what happened. He's talking about later on, he's going to talk about how important the lessons he learned from them and stuff. It, it, it doesn't redeem the last episode, but it does lend some additional context to it, which... I like, it didn't need to take you this long, but I do kind of like that they they made it a moment between Boba and Finnick because I also think it helps their emotional bond. So before we, uh, before we get into the palace, while we're still outside the palace, let's talk about that fire spray class gunship <laughs> uh, that they're having a conversation about while Finnick Shan sends her probe droid into the Bib Fortuna's palace. Yeah, apparently they're referring to it as the fire spray class gunship in this show. They're not going to call it Slave One. It is, before anybody says anything, it is still officially designated Slave One. It's Slave One in the comics and the StarWars.com website still listed as Slave One. They're just calling it his fire spray class ship. Which, which is basically the equivalent of saying, yeah, let's go get my Honda Accord out of impound. Yeah, it's, I don't, I just don't understand, like, why even, why do we even have to reference a name or the class of ship? Like, why can't he just say, like, keep it completely neutral if you're really that worried about calling it Slave One? Like, why don't they just call it my ship? I have to go get my ship. Let's go get my ship. Like, I don't understand. Yeah, I, I think it's in there for pedantic nerds like me who are going to be like, oh, it's a fire spray. I know what that is. I I know what a fire spray class gunship is. Honestly, I can't blame them for not wanting to call it Slave One in the mainline stuff. The, but the I just big- don't get it. I don't, I really don't get it because like you literally have all that stuff in the first movie. Like fucking Anakin Skywalker is a slave. So like, that's literally a plot point of the thing. So I don't understand why taking away something like that. Well, they're also trying to make Boba a more sympathetic character. And like, there isn't really a good reason for, there's like, like some epic backstory reason or something that he's named the ship that. Like, yeah. it's just called the Slave One in canon. I guess in Legends, there was some reason, but... Yeah. Did he name it, or was that his... Was that Django who named it? Because... That might have been it, Django. It could just be a thing of, like, I'm rebranding. My dad decided to call it this. I'm calling it this. Anyways. Right. Yeah, I'm a different person now. Like, yeah. I, I think it's because they're trying to make him more sympathetic, and they don't necessarily right. want to say, like... Our hero also, has a Slave One. <laughs> Our, our hero, you know, flies around at the back of a slave. It's like, that's some unfortunate branching you've got yeah. going on there, Boba. Also, it's probably so they can sell it as Boba Fett's starship. Well, that's true, too. I personally, you know, as a longtime Legends fan, uh, I am personally fine with them never calling it the Slave One in visual media again. It's canonically called the Slave One. Personally, I think Fire Spray sounds sick as fuck. Well, later on, we'll find out why it's called a Fire Spray, but, you know. <laughs> uh, I just want I just want the sequence of 
Jenga stealing it from Ubu 4 and turning around and blasting the hangar bay to be canon again. I really need to get my hands on Bounty Hunter. Did they release Bounty Hunter for the Switch? They released Republic Commando. I don't think so, but not Bounty Hunter. Not a gamer. I don't think so. Uh, Bounty Hunter on Switch. Let's go. You put Knights of the Old Republic on there. You put Republic Commando on there. You're putting all the good ones on there. Bounty Hunter, let's go. So Boba does say goodbye to the Bantha. Uh, as the probe droid is out there, uh, tells tells the Bantha to go and make baby Banthas, uh, a line that elicited raucous laughter from me on both viewings. I just I just love how attached he is to his animals. <laughs> his his only stipulation is he wants to ride it. As long as he can ride it, he's happy. So I want to I want to return to something that. Bradley almost mentioned earlier. Uh, Bradley, you were going to talk about the the line, the Gatra. Uh, he wants to form his own Gatra, which is apparently what a crime family is called here. So I brought it up theory. only because it's on my bingo card. <laughs> no, no, I yes. gave you, I gave you Moochie. No, not it's on do there. This you said it's the droid Gatra. You said eh, the droid Gatra. Same was difference. Show up. To be fair, though, to be fair, the only time Gatra is ever mentioned in Star Wars media is in Mandalorian, and he says, I swear by the Gatra. So no one ever says droid Gatra. I just wrote it down as droid Gatra. So, because it's called the droid Gatra. That's the name of the droid crime family. I'm going to count it because it's the word Gatra, and I don't have a lot of chances left to get uh <laughs> so i'm gonna take it this time around um because otherwise all i got left is crimson dawn and omega and you know i just don't see kira showing up so honestly i'm out of luck uh if the og bounty hunters don't ever show up in this so i have heard theories that the og bounty hunters might come in for the finale i i do like the idea of chekhov's bosk like <laughs> Like we've Lord we've Boss. we've set up that um, Black Chrysanthemum doesn't like Trandoshans, well, because of larger historical context. But once again, within the show, he doesn't right. like them. So, like the idea of him having to team up with Bosk and it being this whole thing could be an interesting character beat. I agree. I think so, that'd be awesome. So you didn't have a theory at all. You just brought up Gatris. You could mention it on your your bingo card. Oh, 100%. I have no other connection to Gatra on here. I, I don't even, honestly, I put that I on there as like filler. I absolutely despise you. Yeah, that was like one of my you filler are ones. Like such a pain. So. You are such a pain in my ass. So. Full Ugh. disclosure, I don't know what a Gatra is. I'm just like. Same. Uh, so <laughs> the only time it's been mentioned before now uh, was the droid Gatra, which was specifically like a droid crime organization, like hmm. specifically for droids. They are the ones who send uh, Dr. Afra to retrieve the triple zero personality matrix okay. that she is retrieving in the early Darth Vader 2015 issues when Darth Vader finds her. Hmm. They are the reason that she gets the triple zero personality matrix. Uh, Mel, I don't know if you've read the comics Not. at all. Claudia will explain it to you. Okay. She, she's she been trying, but I'm like... Claudia will explain. <laughs> Ask Claudia who Triple Zero is. She will tell you. I do know who Triple Zero is. I just don't know 
Yeah, <laughs> the droid Gatra were the ones that sent Afra to retrieve Triple Zero okay. to start the whole plot line. Okay. I love uh, that. Also, they're mentioned in the Tarkin novel. Uh, they're mentioned in uh, Mandalorian, which I guess now apparently we know is a crime. Fa- so I guess Gatra is just the word for mm. crime family. And mm. droid Gatra is droid crime family. Mm. Got it. Basically. Uh, Max Fennec and Boba sneak into Jabba's palace by going through the sewers. They get into the kitchen where they are confronted by Walmart brand General Grievous, Chef Droid, and Boba finally locates his ship, but not before an alarm is sounded and the guards come rushing in. He is able to escape with his fire spray ship. Did y'all catch the Spy Kids reference? Because I didn't catch the Spy Kids reference. I had to have it pointed out to me. No, I didn't. The the Spy Kids reference, I'm assuming, is the cr- is the crayon moment, correct? The yes. Like so, when Fennec goes to like melt the bars, um, mm-hmm. with a little like laser, that's something that they do in Spy Kids, but with a crayon. Um, oh, the acid <laughs> crayon. Thing. Yes, the acid. Yes. Crayon. Yes. So oh, I love yeah. we love visual storytelling. Thank you so much, Robert Rodriguez. <laughs> <laughs> like you know that he ins- it's so weird that it should have been an episode he didn't direct. Oh, yeah, yeah that, is, that weird. is weird. Like, you know that that was being discussed. Like, at some point in the writer's room, he was like, hey, John, can you write in them, like, doing this at some point? <laughs> uh, who, whoever voices our Eevee droid, uh, the sous chef, mm-hmm. spot on. Yeah. Spot on Richard Mar- Marquard impersonation. I, I don't know who it is. IMDb, it doesn't look like says who it was but whoever whoever you are a plus so i was confused because okay let's go back to episode one when we introduced the torture droid okay that's when i was right i was confused because when we first were talking about that i was like that's not the torture droid i remember from return of the jedi but i wasn't thinking of the actual droid doing the torturing i was thinking of the droid like introducing C-3PO to, you know, what could await him, you know, and telling, you know, R2-D2 he's a jerk. So that was the same droid from Return of the Jedi in who's now a sous chef for some reason. Like, I don't quite understand that job changed from administrator to sous chef, but. He got demoted after assigning R2-D2 to the sail barge. I guess so. Mm, AD-8 took his job. You don't, you don't fuck up in Bib Fortuna's palace. Or maybe Bib Fortuna just needed an extra pair of hands in the kitchen because he was just living in luxury at that That's point. That's true. Uh, there's a little frog thing in the pot. It's the same frog thing, apparently, that Baby Yoda eats in Sanctuary, or that he's trying to eat in Sanctuary. Yeah, that makes sense, because I have a little toy on my shelf of uh, the retro collection, and one of them is Baby Yoda, and his always, with all of his like toys, they always include a little frog. So I'm assuming that that's that's it's, it's the, the same, same frog. It's the same yeah. frog. Uh, I we don't ever release these video re- recordings to the public. They're purely so we can read facial cues of each other. Uh, but I need you guys to know that Mel's facial expressions when I said that were just wonderful as as they went through like a face journey of no, yes, yeah, oh, <laughs> it's absolutely wonderful to behold wasn't expecting that i was like whoa wait (laughs) shocking 
Thank you, Alex Damon, for uh, your wonderful video that I use to cheat every week uh, and make it seem like I notice these things when I do. Yeah, of course. Can we all universally agree that the chopper droid, General Grievous, uh, knife droid is amazing? I'm just thinking about how Charles Soule did tweet that night. It's a shame that there's a droid already named Chopper. (laughs) (laughs) I was like, oh, shit. Right. Thank you so much, Charles. Yeah, that would oh have been a goodness. hilarious name for the droid. Oh my goodness. Maybe it is Chopper down like Chopper's personality major. Can you imagine Chopper in that droid body? Like Chopper already has a body count in the thousands, if not tens of thousands, uh, from the whole interdictor thing. Could you imagine if you gave Chopper six knives? <laughs> I'm just saying he would have handled it. He would have handled it. Palpatine, oh watch out. I just love that it was like it's not a real reference to General Grievous, but it's like a it's like a, almost like a nod to General Grievous. Like it was like a very like is it a reference? Is it not a reference? It was skating the line. This entire show has felt like a love letter to specifically Attack of the Clones, but also just the prequels in general and just <laughs> every visual cue. I've been like oh, just like in the prequels. Right. I was actually super disappointed because I was expecting them to do an Indiana Jones thing, which they kind of did, but not really. I was expecting them to do a thing where the they whirl the knives, they whirl the knives, they whirl the knives, and Finnick just walks up and shoots it. Mm. Which Finnick kind of did because she, she kind of stuck up and like decapitated it, but it's not the same. It's not the same as the indie shooting moment. I'm no. sorry. So I was a little disappointed that didn't happen. The rat catcher droid is from the Clone Wars movie. I and the Clone Wars, but this is its first live action version. I just know that it's a pain in the ass in Lego Star Wars 3. So I personally hate it. Oh, I thought it was so cute. Um, but it definitely, you know what's funny is it almost seems like something that Dave would have had in his episode which I thought it was weird that it was in this one because I was like, that seems like something they would have saved for like Dave's episode, you know, just because he likes to have all that stuff. Watch watch all the bounty hunters show up in Dave's episode. That's why Dave wanted it. Honestly, I have a theory about that. Of so course you do. When we get to the final thing, I'll say what my theories are for the next episode. Okay. But the, I know that the episode after that is going to be Dave's episode. Or the, it should be his episode, um, supposedly, which is the penultimate, penultimate episode, episode yeah. before the finale, which would make a lot of sense, right? Because one, he would have a lot of room to play because you, I mean, you have to set up, you know, the finale, but you still have a lot of room to be like, here's a bunch of shit that doesn't matter, and you can just show it off, and it only has to appear for a second, which is Dave's forte. He just loves to have all that shit from the Clone Wars and Rebels and stuff, so. I'd be excited to see what he puts in there, if not more nods, you know, so I don't know. But if they do show up in that episode, I, I don't think anybody's going to know what to do. Book of Boba Fett, a.k.a. how many references can we fit into one show? <laughs> I had like a moment when Boba Fett saw the Slave One for the first time in five years and teared up. I, I loved that little detail and I loved that it was a moment of vulnerability for him because that was his father's ship 
That was his ship for a long time. That's one of the tangible, it's the first tangible connection to who he was and the legacy of his family that he's laid eyes on since the day he blasted out of the Sarlacc pit and the Jawas took his armor. And I thought that it was nice that they allowed us just a moment to slow down and let Boba be overwhelmed by emotion at this. Because I'm sure he's seen these things in his mind's eye for years and never thought he'd see them again. And then when he does, it, it nothing could have prepared him for it. And I think that's really cool. Other than that, it's, it's just a really good action scene. Um, rip the gonk droid thing. It reminded me of um, the, cre- the creature, oh my god, the droid in Ra- Ras... It reminded me of the droid in Race to Crash Point Tower that Ram is besties with. Oh my um, god! Of just like the that was built that was built to ride. Like someone should have hopped on that. Someone, uh, truly, truly, we will never see another legend like Ram Jumaram ever again. So true. Uh, no, you know what this power droid needs? Fucking thrusters. This thing needs to fly. <laughs> Can you imagine Ram Jamaran and Avon Staros collab? That's everything. It's everything to me. I, I can't say more because I know things that you don't, and I don't want to get into it. But... Okay. Okay. As of recording this, uh, and, and they come out very quickly, but as of recording this, uh, I have not read Midnight Horizon because we don't get ARCs, uh, because we're not a book show, and I'm only mildly mildly jealous of everyone else getting their arcs for the high republic you could become a book show i'm working on it (laughs) i'm working on those bonus episodes i'm just gonna read out my next note verbatim uh because i i think that, that that no other words will adequately express how i feel about uh the sequence uh of of the fennec shan fight um Quote, Finnick Shan, punch me, please. She does a little flip in there. I don't know if you all watched Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D., um, but it just rem- it just gave me flashbacks to when she was Melinda May, and I was like, damn. She really is built different. Yeah. Like, every show she's in, she's like, actually, what if I had a physical prowess and charisma that, like none other? <laughs> yes. What if I was a good actress... Uh, stunning and also could murder you with (laughs) two fingers just snap your neck like perfection that she's doing all this on the slave one it's like moving and like crashing in which Boba Fett is as bad as at coming out of parallel parking as I am (laughs) Uh, truly this is this is true queer coding I was about, I was literally about to say that. So I was sorry. about to say, this is how we know that Boba Fett is gay. This is how we know that Boba Fett is queer, because he can't park either. Oh my god. <laughs> he got his dad's big ass truck, and is like, okay, I've got to get out of here right now, and just pulls out and hits a wall, and I admire that. My My boyfriend is constantly on my case, because I can't parallel park for shit. And he's like, oh, it's it's so easy to learn. You've you've just got to do it. I'm like, first of all, your car is about four feet long. Let's start with that. Second of all, you have a fucking 
parking camera, backup camera. Uh, so I don't want to hear from you how easy parking is, you little shit. I do enjoy the idea of the the slave one fire spray, whatever you want to call it, um, having a backup cam. I think that would be very powerful. I think I think it needs to get rid of the the um, oh my god, what are they called? The sonic um, <laughs> the sonic bombs. sonic emitters, the sonic emitters, or yeah. whatever the sonic bombs, whatever they're yeah. called, seismic charges, seismic charges. Yeah. Thank you. Um, I do think that we need to go to the Subaru dealer. <laughs> the idea of that being a Subaru Outback is also very powerful. Oh my um, god. And just getting a backup cam. That's what Fennec is going to do next episode. That is her entire arc is she is going to the super dealer. Oh my god. The worst part is like, if you did get a backup cam on this ship, it would be on the bottom of the ship. So it wouldn't be very much used to him at this point because it's upside down. (laughs) It's just showing the ground. (laughs) Yes. Oh my god. So it's worthless. I like the idea because it's like, because it also kind of looks like a smiley face when it's flying away. Because I'm a child, I enjoy that visual piece. I like the idea of the backup cam being also the nose of the smiley face. I think that's just, it's fun. It's fun. I think Robert Rodriguez, you should be taking notes. Yeah. Robert Rodriguez, yes. John, I know you listen to the show because you have put things in there to spite me. Looking at you, <laughs> flamethrower burning his way out of the Sarlacc. Looking at you and my, the flamethrower, my enemy. But yeah, take notes, John. Uh, this is a good idea. Also, I live in Los Angeles. You can hire me. You can hire me. I'll I'll move. I'll move up to near Skywalker Ranch. Let's, let's do this. Boba begins his revenge tour by locating the Nikto speeder bike gang and spraying them with blaster fire, killing them all. He then decides to head to the Sarlacc pit to recover his armor but the Sarlacc nearly takes the ship down. Not before Boba drops a charge bomb in its mouth. Uh, first of all, that's why it's called this fire spray, you pedantic little fucking twink. <laughs> Second of all, uh, it's actually Finnick that drops the thing down, so jump the, it's down. The, it's the, the collective Boba. Is uh-huh. the, the Boba hive mind? Right, the Boba it's, hive te- mind. it's team Boba. Whenever I say mm. Boba does something, I mean team Boba, mm. you know? So it's pretty much all of them. It's a working, it's a, you know, all <laughs> mm. I thought that was actually a really interesting character beat for Fennec um, because she's like literally in, within like the visual, like visuals of the scene, like she's buckled in and reaching for it and she can't reach it, um, which I feel is could be not to become like an English teacher suddenly um, could be like a, a metaphor for, for being a little bit more isolated and, and closed and then decides like, fuck it. I cannot, I literally, I'm going to die if I don't do something about this right now. So she right. unbuckles and she opens up and is like, okay, bonk, let's get the fuck out of here. Can we not do this right now? Right. Uh, shout out, shout out Star Wars English class. I, I loved that she like sees this random button flashing. She's never been aboard the fire spray. Yeah, how does she before. know what it does? She sees this random button flashing and is like, she's like, that's annoying. Nah, I'm gonna push that now. Button <laughs> go push. It's very very chaos energy mm-hmm. from her, which I was surprised by. I want to back up before we get into the nitty gritty of the Sarlacc scene. Um, to just say. Rip the Sandriders. You will not be missed. You will not be missed. And people were like, oh, that was super fast. And like, I'm yeah. like, yeah. That uh, would make sense. He shows up in the ship and 
guns him down and goes away and that's that's it that's no all we need to do with yeah. him do we need to draw it out no no, no they just don't all. need to be alive boba fix that problem thank you boba for yeah. your promptness very eye for an eye yeah and i like the idea of uh boba rolling up in an even bigger ship <laughs> like because they would have overwhelmed the tuscans with force and then mm. boba shows up with even more force Right. and takes them out it's very poetic justice well he kind them. of hint he kind of hinted at that right because he said to the pike leader in the last episode he said you know if you don't pay them like or if you attack them or whatever then you're will attack back tenfold right is what he said and so technically he delivered on his promise like you attacked us right so now tenfold is literal like gunning people down with his ship like so i have in my notes and i'm i'm making this promise to myself as we address the the sarlacc pit scene this is my promise to uh, to our listeners and and to our guests and to my co-host i will not make any of the obvious whole jokes throughout this sequence you're not going to call it the Sarlussi? I am, I am <laughs> not. I am going to avoid making jokes about uh, sticking my head down random holes in the desert. Uh, I'm going to, I'm going to avoid the jokes about Beak showing up out of nowhere. No. Um, I'm going to, I'm not going to touch any of this. I promise. I'm a mature and responsible podcaster who definitely, definitely will not make any of these jokes. I'm so sorry for immediately then saying so. <laughs> <laughs> oh my God. I am terrified to hear the Rupaps episode for this week. I have some concern. <laughs> am I prepared? Am I prepared, Mel? Am I prepared for what's coming? We kept, I think we kept the, the Sarlussi talk to a, to a minimum. Jess immediately tweeted. Cause I don't trust Noah. Yeah. No, I don't trust Noah. Noah and Jess are truly menaces. I think as a culture, we need to talk about that. Um, but like, it, it's mostly been on the Twitter. And that is for the better okay. of society. Where it belongs. Where it belongs. We'll keep it in that blighted hellscape Twitter. <laughs> exactly. Right. Where it belongs. I did think it was weird that Boba was super convinced that his armor was in the Sarlacc pit when he was awake and conscious for the gel is beating the crap out of him. So I don't know if he yeah. just like forgot. It's selected memory. Yeah, it must be selected memory loss or just the sheer fact that he was like laying in the sun for so long that it just kind of like fried his brain, essentially. You know what I mean? Like when you've got that, all that traumatic things happening to you, I guess you would forget a few detail, minor details, so. Yeah, and if the Sarlacc was a super traumatic moment for it, it makes sense he would focus on that to the exclusion right. of everything else. But I like how even Fennec, she, she points out the fact that you know, a little bit later on, he kind of goes down in the pit to kind of look for it after it's dead. Dead. Like, she's like, oh, you have like acid on your face. Like, she's like, it's literally eating you alive. The reason why you're alive is because you had your armor on the whole time. And so I don't know why he's not making the connection. Like, the only reason why I was able to leave the Sarlacc pit was because I had protection or some protection. If the show has established anything, it's that Boba Fett is not very smart. He's not very like pretty. he's a him. He's a he's himbo. He's a himbo now. Like he wasn't a himbo because a qualification of being a himbo is you have to be a nice person, which he is now. But he was not before. Uh, but now he is a himbo. He is dumb. Yeah. 
He has lots of ambition, uh, but he's not very smart. That's why he needs Fennec. Yeah, he does say, like, he's like, you are the brains and brawn of this operation. I am just the face. Right. <laughs> exactly. Even um, even War of the Bounty Hunters, like, the whole thing kicks off with him being, like, really, yeah, I'll totally leave on Solo for a little bit, unguarded, unprotected, to go do this thing. Uh, gee, I wonder why Han Solo got stolen and the right. guy got murdered. Huh, how did that happen? Yeah, I, I feel like people pretend, like, once again, it's this false idea that people have built in their heads of, like, who Boba Fett is. Everything he has done in the in the visual media, in the movies, and the TV show has been like, I'm just a dude, and like, this seems like a good idea at the moment. Oh no, the consequences of my actions. Uh oh. He does he does one smart thing, and that is correctly pegged that the Falcon is going to go out with the garbage. Mm -hmm. Right. That is the one smart thing he does, and the rest of the time he's like, I'm sure here. Like, oh no! <laughs> I am inconvenienced. I mean, this sequence again, like the action sequence, just super well directed. And then, of course, my favorite sound of all time, which is the sound of the charge bomb. <laughs> you did get. I did think of you when the when the sonic <laughs> charge yes, went off. My I was favorite like, sound from the prequels. It's so good. Well, it's actually. I'm sorry. Timeout. It's my second favorite sound from the prequels. My first favorite sound of the prequels is the lizard that Obi-Wan Kenobi rides in uh, that it makes. Or you start us down this goddamn Pokemon hole. Kyle and I spent like a fucking hour sitting in his living room comparing sounds. We were not going down the rabbit hole that is the boga sound again. The boga, yeah. So the boga sound is my number one. The charge bomb is my number two. So there I, you go. I like the idea of like a Star Wars ASMR and it's just... <laughs> you just the listen to all the sounds. Yeah. That's what Bradley listens to to go to bed. Is mm. I do. Well, have you listened to Galaxy of Sounds? Galaxy of Sounds is super interesting. It's on Disney Plus. And what they've done is it's movie scenes, little clips that they've isolated the sound effects hmm. to spotlight the sound. So they have various breathing noises and computer noises. and <laughs> It's various... just Darth Vader. Right. Yeah, some of it is Vader. But like the idea is it's highlighting, it sounds dumb, but I promise you it's really cool. They're highlighting the different sound effects and the, the ambient noise that you wouldn't notice in the sequence right. to highlight how good the Lucasfilm sound design is. It's actually really cool what they do on that. But also it, they just have random like Darth Vader breathing ASMR and I'm like, I like Darth ASMR. Darth Vader 10 hour breathing ASMR. You can actually find that on YouTube. I bet Definitely you can. Uh, I do like that you can see skiff remains in this scene. Like you see the sail barge, but you also can see the skiff remains of the skiffs that also like got caught in the explosion. Unfortunately, this scene does both debunk one of my Mando theories, but also offers a new one. I theorized that the crate dragon in Mando was nesting in the lair of the same Sarlacc. And that it was just another cave entrance because Sarlaccs are supposed to be massive. Oh, shit. Uh, unfortunately, that theory was debunked by yeah. this as Fennec Shan kills the Sarlacc. 
but it does actually explain something, which is why Boba Fett does awesome shit when he first shows up in Mando and then proceeds to do basically nothing but fly the, the slave one around for the rest of the season. And it's like, why is Boba Fett not out being a badass, doing badass things? Because uh, Homeboy needs Bacta, man. He's like Darth Vader in A New yeah. Hope. There's a theory that, like, oh, why is Darth Vader so cool in Rogue One? And in A New Hope, he's just walking around. One of Vader's things is that he needs to regularly be submerged in the Bacta tank in order to not die. And he gets progressively more fatigued and less able to do stuff the longer he stays out of the Bacta tank. And the theory is he's like swinging right out of the gate in Rogue One, but he spends so much time chasing the Tanev four around that he basically tires himself out. I think this explains why Boba Fett had his one cool scene of beating up the stormtroopers and then flies the ship because that's really all he can do. Yeah. Chronic mm-hmm. illness realness. Truly. Truly. Yeah. I'm done. That's the next scene. I won't mention that here. I will say, though, this is something that I found kind of interesting. And it's one of the the, the pitfalls, kind of, of having a, a not diverse writer's room. Um, because you're missing out on an interesting story beat. Um, just like the use of water on Tatooine is always very interesting to me. Because like when we talk about like the coding of indigenous characters and specifically the Tuscans, like specifically their relationship to the natural resources of Tatooine has been like the biggest thing for me to be like, yeah, these are not only like literally indigenous people, but like coded to be the indigenous people, um, in the, in the text. Um, because like Fennec is just like, I'm going to pour some water on you. That's like a very scarce resource that she's just like kind of not wasting because obviously he needs to get clean but like i just thought that that was really interesting of like you're using this water in a way that's kind of like wasteful almost right and like how how did that pain her you know like yeah yeah and i just thought that was interesting and i didn't of course it's just like a casual one second thing but i was like hmm how would how would have this been different if there had been native people in the writing room um but that's just a little thing um but yeah or like, or like if Boba spent so much time with the Tuscans and he's come to see water is this precious resource, mm-hmm. if Fennec thinks nothing of here, pour some water on you, and Boba's like, what the fuck are you doing? Mm-hmm. Yeah. What yeah. the fuck are you doing? Like, yeah. Yeah. use a black melon or something. <laughs> like, why are you pouring actual pure water? Yeah. And water just in general in this story has been really interesting. Like the back to water itself and then it leading to visions of Camino are all just very like i don't know mm. it's always just it's visually interesting to me and there it's something that hasn't been quite tapped into but that's because john favreau is writing the story and may not have made that connection um but yeah yeah hire a diverse writer's room please <laughs> like even just to offer different perspectives it's it's not hard uh, the final final little sequence before we move on to the next bit is is them sitting and talking and, and we get some more interesting perspective. And I want to shout out um, Comrade Boba uh, seizing the means of production, deciding that uh, he mentions earlier in the episode, he's like, I'm tired of working for people who are constantly getting us killed. Us meaning people like him and Fennec who are actually out doing the work, uh, which way to shade Jabba and Vader like all in one go 
good work, Boba. You're lucky all those people are dead. Uh, and he's like, uh, yeah, maybe maybe we have like a workers' revolution and like we seize the means of production and then we do it better this time because we're not stupid. I love that for him. That is very powerful to me. Boba died from or got put into the Sarlacc pit because of what is, was essentially an OSHA violation. So I think it is very powerful that he is unionizing. <laughs> Truly, that is what this is. That is what this is. This is Boba Fett unionizing. The Book of Boba Fett is a a union membership book. I like that we're finally getting the explanation. Now, it should have been sooner. There should have been hints of it sooner, I think. But I like that we're finally getting the motivation to why he's putting this group together in the way that he's doing it. This is the thing where he says the line, you know, you, you, you're like, you need a tribe. Like you're stronger with a tribe. You're stronger with a group of people. I do love that as his motivation. I've talked a little bit before about how like what's going on here. What's his motivation? I do like that this turns out to be it. That he's like, I was with the Tuscan. I was alone. And then I was with the Tuscans. They gave me a sense of community. Uh, I lost that. But I now know how strong being in a community makes me. So I'm going to build my own community of people who are exploited people who are ignored and I'm going to give them the chance to exert their own power on the world around them and make the people that previously hoarded all that power listen to them. I love that. Up next, Boba wakes up from his Back the Dream finally fully healed. He heads to the sanctuary where Black Kay gets into a fight with some Trandoshans. Garza tries to talk him down, but he ends up ripping an arm off one of the guys anyway. Boba decides to offer him a job. And we're done with the flashbacks. (laughs) Finally. I thought it was weird that they sort of ended it very abruptly in episode four. But Mm. on the other hand, like, I'm kind of glad to be done with it. Yeah. In a way. I like flashbacks as a vehicle, but sometimes you're just like, Lord have mercy. Like, can we get over the flashbacks? You know what I mean? Like, it's a it's a great vehicle. Don't get me wrong. Like it it works for shows, and there are some shows that use it very well, and it's purposeful and it helps with the show. And there's other times where you're just kind of like, mm, okay, that was fun, but I want to stay in the present. Like I don't want to keep going back to the past. And I think with Boba, like they told what they needed to tell. They they got through the five years as best they could, and kind of just cheated it a little bit. I do think you're right. I think it was with the Tuscans for the most part he was with them for a couple of years and they're just kind of glossing over that fact I don't know why that is but that's just like okay he was with them for a few years and then the Pikes came like and that's kind of where they're at so uh, I am desperately researching uh, the thing Charles didn't research which I cannot find I am trying to figure out who the director of photography for this episode is uh, and I cannot, I am just glancing. I found the director of photography for the second unit, but I can't find the main director of photography. And the reason that I'm looking for the main director of photography is I want to shout them out uh, specifically for the lighting design of the sequence where Boba wakes up, uh, where you can see all of Tamura Morrison's like muscles highlighted in the lighting. I paid very close attention to this 
I've been insisting, insisting for weeks that that is muscle. And you can very clearly see in this scene, man has some core going on. <laughs> he's simply built like an uncle. Like he's just, he's got the shape of like a, like a, I don't know how, how what y'all's uncles are like. I think like in terms of like Pacifica uncles, he's he's built like one. He's like, hey, I can like carry things very, I see very heavy saying. things, but yes. like also, like I've got a, a dad bod, but like not quite. I could be daddy, but I also could bench press you. Like I <laughs> yeah, I could be dad, but right. also I could be daddy. Both work. Truly, I want to thank whoever the, the DP was for this sequence, for this lighting, uh, which is which is beautiful. Uh, could not pay attention to anything else in that shot. Uh, there could be a rancor behind him. I didn't notice. The only thing I was thinking was, uh, Tamara Morrison, uh, bench press me, please. I'm 155 pounds, and I can see your core strength under there. I know you can do it. Finnick Shan mentions that... Uh, the mayor's major domo is singing like a yuzum. Bradley, did do you know what a yuzum is? No. Uh, okay. A yuzum. How do I explain this? Are you familiar with the Jedi rock sequence in Return of the Jedi? Yes. <gasps> Wait, are you telling me he's the Harry lead singer? Of he's the, the Harry lead singer is a Yuzum. Oh my god, that's hilarious! I wish I would have had him on my bingo card because I would have counted. You should have put Jedi Rocks on your bingo card. Badly. I put Sice Noodles on there, but I and Max Rebo, but I didn't put the lead sing uh, one of the singers of the fucking band. But whatever. Yeah, you missed out. Uh, oh, neat day. <laughs> you missed that guy. And then you see the inside of his mouth. That was great. <laughs> uh, Boba says the line, power power hates a vacuum, uh, echoing Cobb Vanth. Uh, uh -huh. Cobb Vanth shows up in the show when? Uh, maybe, maybe next episode. Maybe next episode. This is already the book of daddy. So, like, it makes sense. Put them all in there. There's another one coming. Show is specifically designed to feed me everything I want. Uh, daddies and girl bosses that's all this show is i also feel like it would be a missed opportunity if we didn't get to hear Cobb vanth be like hey, it looks better on you you know what i mean you know kind of thing like i feel like that's like a line that's just like meant to happen because as far as we know you know boba never knows that Cobb has his armor at any point in time right like he only knows that mando has it at some point so i want him to be like that looks familiar, like, or something, you know what I mean? If, like, he needs to see it. Hold on, if, if fucking, they have a fucking Finn Poe moment where, <laughs> where um, Mel is losing their shit in, in the video, <laughs> like, just absolutely cracking up. If they do a Finn Poe moment where Cobb Vanth is like, no, it looks better on you and then lip bites and like claps Boba's shoulder. <laughs> I will unalive. I will physically transcend my mortal form yeah. and ascend into the heavens. I love that. Or more accurately, probably plunge straight down to hell. So here's the thing. Is the, the Boba and Cobb ship, is it just Bob? Is that what it's <laughs> called? 
I mean, yeah, I guess so. <laughs> Book of Bob. Book of Bob. <laughs> Book of Bob. Oh. Oh. Bob and Boba. Yeah, I guess. I know, I know Din Cobb is a very popular ship. Uh, also a canon one. But <laughs> I, I had not considered Boba and Cobb. I'm just thinking. I'm thinking it's thoughts Bob. inside my brain. Bob, it's Bob. Bob like Storm it. Pilot parallels. Truly, truly, Bob is the new Storm Pilot. In that, uh, it it also won't happen and will be will be homophobic. Oh. Uh, Garza Flip, absolute queen. Yes, she was absent from. Uh, episode three uh episode three was bad because garza flip and specifically max rebo were not in it that is what made episode three bad she's just absolute queen when she when she's talking to black kersantan she actually does reference his comic background Hmm. and she references his i think it's knuckle dusters so in the show it's implied she's talking about like the brass knuckles on his hands but again, Alex Damon, Star Wars Explained, pointed out she could be referring to the surgical implants oh. in his in his uh, hands that are supposed right. to make him punch harder. Interesting. Y'all gotta read huh? the comics. They're all most Damn. of them are on Marvel Unlimited, and I think Comicsology as well. Damn. There's some wild shit going on. Buckersanen. I also like that she called him Santo. I thought that was funny. I did. I did love that. She knows who he. You imagine she probably knows who all the the high rollers are in town. Right, right, right. She knows everybody. She makes it a point to know everybody. Yeah, Black Chrysanthemum just straight up rips the Trandoshan's arm off, which I personally don't know why we're making such a big deal about this. It's just going to grow back. I think it's only a big deal if you don't know that it grows back. That is true. That's fair. <laughs> uh, I I personally think that if I were Black Chrysanthemum, I would make it a point to regularly dismember Trandoshans. Yeah, it's like, because you know they're going to grow back, so you're like, oh, whatever. You know they're going to grow back, and also they do deserve it. And yeah, they do hunter people for they sport. They do hunter people for sport. And if they don't have limbs, they can't hunter people for sport. Right. That's true. I also just but- enjoyed the cinematic parallels to Light of the Jedi with skier i noticed that too (laughs) i noticed that too when the when the arm because it's clearly supposed to be a parallel to new hope Mm -hmm. but i have high republic brain rot and bradley knows what we're talking about now when skier gets his arm like chopped off or i don't know if they mentioned it in light of the jedi yeah it just gets blown off when well i don't know if it's mentioned in light of the jedi if it's mentioned that his arm gets hacked off there if we see it in the comics that Mm. he's he loses an arm when oh. his during the the final the battle of Kerr at the end. Gosh, I, I don't retain that Republic. much information, so I'm gonna go with it's a reference to A New Hope, um, where a guy I've gets also, his arm cut off in the first. I've movie. also read all of the High Republic things at least once. I've read Light of the Jedi twice, so and I've also listened to the wonderful soundtrack version of it, uh, which has a whole wonderful sequence on the battle of Kerr. Uh, just absolute. I have I have brain rot as we established last week. Truly, I have worms in my brain, and one of the worms is the High Republic. 
truly nothing will compare. Yeah. Uh, really, really thinking a lot about Cantum Psy this week uh, after the Bake Off issue. Uh, truly, truly the best. Um, before I go off on the High Republic again, yeah. which I just did a whole episode about, let's reel this back in. The absolute fucking power move of Black Kersantan, her going, you've racked up a big debt. If you let the guy go, we'll wipe that debt clean. Right, and Black Kersantan being like, how about I rip the guy's arm off and then pay my bar tab like it's <laughs> This was the moment. This was the moment. And I will quote again from my notes. Quote, I am a monster fucker. Oh, God. Because that level of fucking confidence, I'm like, oh, my God, I'm attracted to this. Oh, my God. It, it's the money. It's the confidence, and it's the money, and it's the fact that he could rip my arm off, and I'm into that. It's the TikTok sound of, oh, my God. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> it's gonna be exactly one of the TikToks I make this week. There you go. You can do it. Um, you can do it. Um, That's gonna be one off. of the TikToks I make this week. Oh my god. Yeah, I watch I, I watched the book of Boba Fett for that one hot guy. Oh, Boba Fett, right? Yes. Yes. The gauge appropriate, conventionally attractive man. <laughs> Definitely not. Harry Wookie man. <laughs> right. Of course, of course. I will say though, I, as much as I enjoyed this scene, it did feel like like the last episode where I said, you know, he kind of just fucks off and like jogs away, right? From the scene. And it's kind of like, why didn't you just like go like, oh, Boba decided not to kill me slash keep me in prison or whatever. I oh, should just join his team now. Like they it's almost like you needed this whole entire scene just for them to do that. And it's like why you did not just yeah but you it's did like though, and i can explain this well, i was gonna say why not just put it in that episode like that's what makes me so mad is that they don't keep it together because like now you had to wait a whole entire episode before you brought him into the fold yeah the, i mean like the reason we needed this scene and we did need this scene is because boba is looking for a specific type of person for his crew he's not looking for just anybody He's specifically looking for people who are like exploited, undervalued, and want to fight back about that. Uh, the speeder bike gang wanted to fight back. They stole the water. They were proactive. That's what got them on his radar. The Gamorians fought loyally. That's why he spares them in episode one. He asks them, if I free you, will you serve me as loyally? He's looking for people that were exploited and were going to fight back. And the Gamorreans were like, nah, we're not going to just roll over and die with the regime change. We're going to go down swinging. And Chrysanthemum, I think we needed to see him adrift and aimless, but like having nowhere to put this energy. And when Boba sees that, he's like, I can put that energy to use. Also, you know, he's, and then he's standing again in the dinner scene. So 
that's the we'll get to the dinner scene in a second but i think that's the importance of this sequence is that you kind of needed boba needed to see that before he was like okay chrysanthemum maybe you can be one of my people finally we make it to the dinner scene that we've been talking God so damn much about fucking dinner scene that i thought was going to be the very first scene of the episode uh, or, or the series that we're over halfway fucking halfway done. through Get to uh where boba asked the local vassals to join him against the threat of the pikes boba must prepare for war but not before we hear a familiar tune when Fennec reminds him she knows where to look for some muscle. Yeah, the fucking dinner party scene has finally happened. <laughs> okay, so I love like when we used to talk about this, like a Mandalorian, we would say like, oh, the trailer is the first three episodes, right? And in, in Boba's case, we technically, it's the first four episodes because what the fuck? This dinner scene was, Which was all a over lie. the trailer. This- this was a lie that they told us when they were like, oh, it all is in the first yeah. half of the first episode because of surprises. And I'm like, come on, guys. You know, what's that funny wasn't is this, this could have easily been in the first episode when they're bringing tributes or whatever, right? Like that could have been this, this could have been the same fucking scene. You could have just been like, oh, some of them are here to give me tributes and then some of them just want to have dinner with me. And I can tell them, like, hey, I'm the new boss in town. Like, but. It's just wild how they stretched out this far. Our uh, our buddy Phil Lamar, the Pike leader slash Bail Organa in Clone Wars slash uh, some other voices. He is back. He's playing the Clatoonian boss. So I yes. thought that was neat. Uh, Robert Rodriguez, again, voicing Doc Strassi. Robert Rodriguez determined to be a voice in every episode. <laughs> You will not be D. Bradley Baker, Robert. I'm sorry. Honestly, I'm sorry. though, I have to I have to give him props because like if I was ever an executive producer on a show like this, uh, I would also insert myself into every single episode in some way, just so I could be like, well, I was in every episode, technically. So I mean 100 percent If if I were involved in a Star Wars series, which Hey, Lucasfilm, I have a degree in screenwriting and I live in Los Angeles. You can hire me. I didn't want to write in the studio system, but I'm not opposed to it for a boatload of money and right. also Star Wars. For Star Wars, yeah. Uh, yeah, I thought it was cool that Phil Lamar made another appearance as the Clatoonian. I also like that we saw a Clatoonian. In visual media, we've seen a Clatoonian we've seen them before but mostly it's like guards and stuff okay i was like this this little guy i don't feel like i've seen him before and so it was exciting i thought we had a new alien species but we yeah we usually see him as like guards and stuff they're in return of the jedi i think Mm. they're like some of jabba's guards um we've seen him but but never one to this degree of prominence before and I think that's that's neat. They're also they're mentioned in the High Republic. I forget where. Uh, that's where I know them from because again, I have brain rot. Uh, I am legitimately traumatized by the fallen star and cannot think of of anything anything else except the fact that I now have to live through this two more times. 
I also don't really know, like, I know the name Clatoonian, but, like, I don't remember seeing them in the visual media anywhere. So that's why, like, on this one, I'm like, oh, those are, like, the dog people or something. They look like dogs to me. And then I'm like, I don't remember seeing them in anything else. So I, I'm assuming they've been in Clone Wars and all that other stuff, but it's just, like, I don't remember. They've it. been around. They're pretty rare, though. Speaking mm-hmm. of uh, speaking of dogs and, and pets, uh, the Rancor being there this is there he's, he shows up at exactly the opportune moment and Boba's like nah he's just hungry he's just a little guy <laughs> he's just a little guy I do like how he feeds him table scraps <laughs> which again a thing Jabba would never do right Jabba wanted to keep his rancor hungry Boba wants to keep his rancor happy there is a difference mm-hmm. I love that I love that for him also loved how the rat catcher, uh, he left the rat catcher alive. Fully did not know that. I did not know that either. Yeah, there's a little shot where you can see the rat catcher running along under the table. Oh, shit. I did not notice that at oh, all. That, that yep. oof, right over my head. I did not notice that. I gotta go back and watch it now. Yeah, he, he kept the rat keeper, rat catcher alive. Uh, yeah, he's... The droids that are around in the palace, Boba's just like vibing with. I like that he like chose the most fucked up little guys to keep around. <laughs> like it's it's him, the Matt buried p- protocol droid, and then like I'm trying to think who else does he have just laying around. Just like the weird guys. I feel I like think it's... those are the only ones we've seen thus far. Yeah, I just think that's fun that he's like, you guys. I don't want a regular protocol droid. I want a fucked up one. <laughs> I want a protocol droid that tortures people. Right. Well, now I'm kind of hoping the other one will show back up again because, like, they already have the puppet, you know? So it's like, he didn't really, like, damage it too badly, I'm assuming, in this one. Because, like, Fennec... Right, because, like, Fennec cut off the head of the other one. But he just kind of knocked the other one down, right? The one from Return of the Jedi. So it's like, yeah, the I kind of want whatever. him to come back. I, I do have a note here that I love how Boba's surrounding himself with cool people because when we think about how empty the palace was, and I said, I think it's important we open with multiple shots of the palace empty to highlight how alone Boba is. Mm-hmm. And by episode four, he's surrounding himself, already surrounding himself with a gang of cool people. He's got Finnick. He's got the two Gamorians flanking him on either side. He's got Black Chrysanthemum standing at the door. His Rancor is down underneath it. We know the mods are around. They mentioned them in the episode, Mm -hmm. uh, but they're not physically here. He's already surrounded himself with just like a gang of really awesome people right off the bat. And I think that's really cool. I like how Boba, like when they say what's stopping us from just killing you and not bothering with the pikes. And the obvious answer is, well, the Pikes are coming after you next. Right. I like that Boba doesn't go that route. He goes a different route. And then later on is like, oh, no, I, I figured they'd already know that. Mm. I did like that. Uh, little detail. He does mention making uh, the streets of Tatooine safe again, to which my question is, when the fuck were they safe, Boba? <laughs> When were they safe exactly? Because I watched the Phantom Menace. Base. Yeah, I was like, mm, doesn't really track. There was a, a street fight that broke out in Phantom Menace, and slaves are getting blown up, 
And like, when were they safe? Safe for the crime bosses, maybe. Yeah. Safe for those, uh, but definitely not safe, Boba. You know, I'm kind of surprised that, you know, we haven't seen in this show yet is, what? you know, we are in Mos Espa. So it's like, why have we not seen one, Watto? And then two, why have we not seen Pod Racing? Uh, Watto's dead, probably. We don't know how long they live. That's true. We also looked kind of old and grody in Phantom Menace. So maybe so. he's really old and grody in this. Like, that'd be hilarious if he was like, he's like barely, he can't even fly anymore. Like, cause he's so old. Like, he's just like, and he's still making, trying to make deals and stuff. Okay, I'll level with you. That actually would be very funny. I want to see that. Um, that'd be fucking hilarious. And then also, yeah, pod racing. Like, why don't we have pod racing? Like, they're in Mos Espa, right? Uh, yeah. I, I guarantee you we're going to see that arena at some point this show. Well, because Cobb Vanth had, you know, the pod racer bike, right? Or engine bike. So it's like, I wouldn't be that weird if like in one episode, they just happen to see it or it's mentioned or it's in the background or something. Like, I just need something. I like the idea of the season finale being the Boon to Eve classic. Um, mm, and the, yeah. the pikes are there and they're yes, all Yes, they're fighting. all in one place. Yes, yes. And that's where the fight breaks out is during the race. How exciting would that be for like a little like not? Boba's going to ride his rancor in the Boonta Eve <laughs> classic. Yeah, <laughs> there you go. So okay. Fennec says, you can find muscle if something like you can find muscle if you know where to look. Right. And then we hear in the background, do 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 and i'm like did i like how they were so overtly with like overt it's so with it. It obvious. Wasn't, yeah it wasn't even a subtle like like they could have done this whole thing without the music and then we would have been like who are they talking about i don't know what they're doing like who are they gonna see next episode but this one they're like no we're doing the mandalorian next episode like that's, that's what it. i love we're all so obsessed <laughs> that they don't have to tell us it's Din. They don't have to <laughs> intimate at all that that's what's going on. They yep. play a few musical cues <laughs> and we're all like, oh my God, Din, yes. See, my theory is that they're trying to trick us out. I don't think we're going to see Din. Oh. I would like I would like to suppose, I'm about to bring up one of my favorite glove shadows, Axe Woves, uh, the diversity hire with the night owls, the one dude. <laughs> Okay. I oh like my the, god! I think it would just be funny if it was just him instead. He's like, yeah, Bo, Bo-Katan and Casca kind of just abandoned me in that bar. They totally forgot about oh me. Oh my god. So not, can I have a yes. job? Not, uh, not Bo-Katan losing out on the position as ruler of Mandalore and having to take a temp job with Boba Fett. Right. <laughs> exactly. This fucking I mean, Bo-Katan shows up with Axe Moves and, I mean, not Casca Reeves. Right. Uh, you were a real one. I really hope we, we see you again at some point, even just as a cameo. Fucking Bo-Katan and Axe Wobe show up like, <sighs> yeah, we need money. Bo-Katan's like, hey, I'm so sorry about like being kind of a shitbag to you. Could I have a job? Sorry. Right. Sorry. I was super um... racist to you. Like, I was like, ooh, I was really anti-clone. Like, I, I'm sorry about that. It's, you know. 
have I mentioned, you know, just how great I think clones are? <laughs> She's like, I was friends with one clone once. She's like, I, I had a clone friend clone. before. Yeah, I had one. I can't be. I can't be racist against clones. I had a clone right. friend. Right. Can you give him? Give me his name. Uh, it I was can a give captain. You his designation number. Uh, uh, you know, I'm. I'm pretty sure it was a a guy. Definitely. No, uh, yeah, Den's, here's where it's going to pick up, because I'm a little surprised, because Den almost feels like a thing that you bring in in, like, the final episode or the, the penultimate episode. And if See, they're I disagree. Dropping, if they're dropping Din Djarin in the next episode, that makes me wonder, like, what's coming up in Dave's episode? That well, that's, that's my theory, Dave right? For? So that's my, that's my thing, is I feel like funny enough like we're going to take a detour episode in this next one from the overall plot oh. ha 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 because that's what did does every single episode as he detours from the actual plot um yeah i feel like this this one's going to be its own self-contained little mini kind of thing and then because there's no way they can keep din in for the rest of the season it just doesn't work for the show you know what i mean like for the purpose of what it needs to be so he has to go away at the end of the next episode. Like, it's not going to be like, he comes in and then he's going to help Boba finish out the whole thing. I mean, I could be wrong, but my see, theory is that it's not going to be that way. See, I sort of like the idea. They bring Din in for the last three episodes and he gets like a little spotlight when he first shows up. But because he's not the main character anymore, he right. doesn't have to say anything or do any character progression. And he's content to just stand there. So the rest of the ep- the rest of the time, Din's literally just standing there and says maybe two or three words the rest of the time. But he's mostly just hanging out. Yeah. Like shooting things that Boba wants shot. And it's like, this is what I wanted to do the whole time. It's going to be weird to seeing Din post Grogu because this is modern timeline where we are right now. So right. if, I mean, I know we keep saying he is going to show up, but for the sake of argument, if he shows up in this next episode, mm-hmm. um, he, like, what is he going to be like? You know, is he going to be like super fucking depressed? Like, or is he going to be just like, eh, I got rid of Grogu, it's whatever. And then the third season of Mando is like, has not, doesn't even mention Grogu. And it's just like a whole thing. It's like, ah, well, we got rid of him. And that's the end of that story. Like, Grogu, Grogu was, Grogu was on the planet that, uh, Caradine and the Mithril were on uh, oh, no. when they got blown up. No, they're not there. In between, no, uh, I'm so sorry, Grogu. Uh, I'm so sorry that the ugly bitch me would say that about you. Um, oh no, it, I think it'll be interesting to see. And it's it's almost kind of giving us a glimpse early because that's sort of where we're going to pick up, I think, with Boba and Mando season three. Right. So it's interesting to kind of see this is what's going on. And that way Mando season three doesn't really have to delve too much into it. We can jump right back into the action. Yeah picking up okay here's the inciting incident boom we're gonna go because book of boba has shown us a grogu-less din which is very sad to think about i'm currently looking at bradley's massive fucking grogu funko pop behind his head i did not realize that was a funko pop i thought it was one of those little i have that's a funko pop oh shit (laughs) oh yeah he's he's huge he's like a good he's like this big like he's he's gigantic 
I love him. Um, yeah, it's actually kind of an interesting um, idea of this just kind of being like a one-off tangent episode because this could be also a good episode for Boba to kind of resolve his own daddy issues with mm. the the papa. <laughs> That's right. I I had theorized. I will say for for context, I had theorized that because all the Camino stuff is seems like the same scene. Uh, just every time it had come up, it had been slightly extended that we were going to see Django Fett in this. Uh, yeah. I mean, we did see Django Fett in this. Well, we saw his head, yeah, for a second. We saw parts of Django Fett in yeah. this. <laughs> but I think, I think Mel raises an interesting point, and I think that if we took this opportunity to explore a little bit Boba talking about Django and that relationship there, that could open up a new dynamic as well. Mm-hmm. Uh, like between Boba and some of the people around him, if he's trying to see himself in this sort of what Django was to him, he's trying to be to the, a new generation of people. Yeah, I don't know. It, it would be interesting to see. I Now, I know we keep saying did, 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 but theoretically, that musical cue can just be anybody from Mandalorian. It doesn't necessarily have to be did himself, right? So like, theoretically it could ma'am, be ma'am yeah <laughs> ma'am that is like playing the fucking emperor's throne room theme <laughs> and then expecting sly Moore to show up okay ma'am, well i i don't is, necessarily think musical cue i don't think it's just gonna be did though i think i think it would be nice if Cobb also showed up because he's already on tatooine so it's like hey let's just go get some more help you know i don't know if Pelimoto is gonna show up. That would be interesting. I don't think she's really muscle, but I mean, I kind of want her to show up because, like, how funny would it be if she just kind of like, I'm gonna hang out in Jabba's palace once in a, or Boba's palace once in a while, you know? Like, where is Doctor Mandible? <laughs> yes. Where's my boy? He can Where's show my up giant too. ant boy? I, I like the idea of the uh, like Avengers Endgame type yeah. moment where every character from the Mandalorian is like, "Hey, what's up?" Um, I I that was also something I had kind of mold over in my brain. I was like, "Wouldn't it be funny if they were like talking about like, oh, like if you have money, you can hire someone," and they like get Grief Karga to like contract a bunch of people, and so he's just like, yeah. "Hey guys, it's me, Grief Karga. <laughs> like, what's up?" And just I don't know. I, I think a fake out is not entirely impossible but i know people will be pissed if it's a fake out oh my god that's what i was that's what i'm scared about like is that that sound is so overtly like obvious like i feel like if they bring in din then it's like oh like that makes sense but then if they don't bring in din and they bring in fucking i don't know the heavy infantry trooper from the first episode of mando or whatever the people are gonna be like yeah what did you although if it is a fake out with Din, that would suck. But it could be interesting to see the rest of the Mando covert show up with Din. I don't know, like, maybe that's what he went back to, or maybe he went back to go find Oh, them. that would really be know. so depressing. Right, we that don't know. So like, depressing. maybe he backtracks because he lost Grogu. So he goes, oh, I'm going to go find the covert and just go fucking hang out with I'm going losers. back to my... I spent all season being deprogrammed from the yeah. cult, and now I'm going back to the cult. That is... That would be an interesting plot. That is plot. tragic. Yeah. That is absolutely tragic. Oh, my God. Also, uh, how do I know Paz Vizsla's name, but not how to parallel park? Um, uh, it starts with uh, your and gay. That tracks. 
Uh, the last thing I want to bring up before we get into who directed this episode and who wrote this episode, uh, remember I mentioned all the way at the top that I thought it was interesting that the Jabba's palace mapped to the one from Battlefront 2. Well, in the concept art for the episode, we can actually see the slave one leaving the hangar and the hangar is actually on the building. It's halfway up the building. And I feel like that's more indication because we've talked a little bit about is this real concept art that they actually did as concept art or did they just illustrate it as scenes later on like Ralph McQuarrie did with the Jabba painting from episode three that they run into. I think this lends credence to it being actual concept art that they've just digitized. Because if it were from the conception stage, if it were intended to be like the one from Battlefront 2, you'd think they would have shown that to the concept artist. Hmm. But it's halfway up. I just thought that was interesting. That it's halfway, it's it, it's different on the building and they changed it to be consistent with Battlefront 2. Thank you, Story Group. That is actually your purpose. I know weird nerds on the internet think that your purpose is to secretly control all of Star Wars from behind the scenes, uh, when actually you're just nerds who remember ship designations and specs and uh, can tell you the name of every random background character in every movie. Uh, I truly aspire to beat you. Sure. Um, I, I God, I hope I can say this guy's name right. Um, so that it was it was directed by Kevin Tankeron. Does that sound right? Let me take a look. Uh, Tan David Charon Tantron Tancharian. Maybe we are famously bad at I, at pronouncing I names. Apologize on behalf of You're... the whole entire world that I am butchering this guy's yeah. name. Um. So fun fact about him, though. Okay. Um. Actually, well, not not necessarily a fun fact, more of like a just an interesting, like I think I know the fact you're gonna say parallel one. thing. Well, uh, one the one thing is obviously he has directed Agents of Shield before. So really? that's the that's the one thing that we have to get out of the way because he is our first Agents of Shield director to come on the show with all the other actors that have been on from Agents of Shield on this show. Like there's just been a ton this season. Um but he, he has directed, I think, at least 10 episodes of Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. So he is well-versed in Ming-Na Wen. <laughs> so, this explains the Ming-Na Wen fight scene. Why is it that these episodes are so much better when they're not directed by Robert Rodriguez? I think, I don't know. It's hard to say. It's almost like, like the not essence a, of him is better than the whole thing. Yeah, like almost like the vibe he wants to cultivate is better than the vibe he can cultivate. Mm, fair i don't know uh um, did you do you have other fun facts about this guy the only other fun fact i had was that the he, apparently uh the only other episode that or one of the episodes that he directed uh, of ages of shield of ming na was when she is laying in a tank like thing where she's getting her stomach sutured up so it's kind of a funny like parallel there where she was getting her stomach repaired in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. because she got cut or sliced or shot or whatever. And then in this, you know, she's in a scene where they're cutting open her stomach and fixing her like with machinery. And who wrote this episode? Oh, John Favreau. John Favreau has the written by credit. 
so I'm assuming he's written the whole thing because I at this point he's written every single episode. So well, I need to double check that because I'm looking at the IMDb page now and on the writing credits, and I need to check the credits. Mm-hmm. It, John Favreau is credited as the written by, uh, but someone named Noah Clore has a credit for staff writer. So I need to go back and check yeah. all our other episodes because we've just been going by what's in the credits. Right. But I feel like he may have had help with these individual episodes. Well, that would make sense, right? Like, I, I'm assuming he wrote, like, the basis of the episode, right? Like, he might not have written the specifics. Like, I'm assuming it was more so, like, here are the major beats and stuff, and I'm going to write it. But then he has his team, I'm assuming. There's probably a writer's room or a team that are filling in the blanks, essentially, right? Right. Okay. Uh, yeah, I'm looking at... This Noah Clore guy is apparently a staff writer, according to IMDb, which... Thank you, Pablo Mom. Hidalgo, is not yeah. always 100% accurate. Right. Uh, created by John Favreau, written by John Favreau for seven episodes. IMDb says Noah Clore is a staff writer on seven episodes, and Dave Filoni wrote one. So, presumably, episode the six. The next one. Or, yeah, six. Right. Episode six. Uh, one would assume that's the one Ahsoka shows up in. Uh, <laughs> for no reason. She's just in this, in this show. <laughs> She's like, where is Grand Admiral Thrawn? And Boba's like, I don't, who? Who are you talking about? <laughs> or uh, or Grand Admiral Thrawn shows up. It's like, where is Ahsoka Tano? Oh my God, stop. I'm don't watching The Witcher right now. And, and every time Lars Mikkelsen shows up, I'm like, Thrawn? <laughs> I, have, I, I just watched through Rebels with my boyfriend who he's reading Thrawn and now... Bradley is reading Thrawn at the same time, and there's so much Thrawn. I need to go dig out my Thrawn minifigure. Uh, yeah, I I would badly like to know how the writing for this show went. That is my point of curiosity. Mm. All right. Mel, do you want to give your final thoughts on this episode first? Uh, overall, episode four, what did we think? Um, I think I, I enjoyed this mu- one much more than I did of episode three, obviously. That was truly a new low for Star Wars for me. Um, so it's only up from here. Um, I really enjoyed getting to like just get more Fennec and Boba as a as a duo. Um, I think that Ming-Na Wen and Timur Morrison have just amazing chemistry. Um, and so like it just really brought it together in a in a way that it's felt a little rocky and now i'm like okay i think that there's a clear path um i think bradley said earlier something about like the first like these first couple episodes have felt like the trailer and now we're finally getting into like where are we actually going yeah charles usually says that when we talk about any of the shows it's usually like everything from the trailer and then you get the show right like they don't want to spoil the meat of the show which is the next three episodes essentially or mini arc of the finale is what i'll call it you know I mean, you, the last two are going to be the true finale, but because I do, I do believe this next one kind of is going to be half-ish a standalone. Um, we'll see. It, it just all depends on how they handle Din coming in, um, not being the star of his own show. So it's going to be interesting to see how that works. But I, I overall, I thought this was a great, fun episode, and I'm excited that you know his team is slowly adding all these misfits you know that are great because i love black k and the more black k we get the better because that's like 
one of the craziest things I've ever seen in Star Wars so far. Like, it's just having this character. I don't know why. Like, he's just so compelling to me, and I just want to see way more of him. But I'm working now that... Bradley on the books. Uh, give me time. I will get him the comics. He will see. He will see. Sorry, please continue. <laughs> but um, this show is making me appreciate Fennec more. And this, like, essentially this episode was, here's how they got together. You know, like, how did they team up? Um, and honestly, I need, I think we need a Fennec Chan show. Like, I genuinely want a show with just her like I think she's an interesting enough to not be a supporting character I need her to be a main character I think it's I think it's time all right my final thoughts are to to paraphrase myself on Twitter uh that I tweeted out after watching this episode it cleared the bar that was episode three but the bar was on the fucking floor it's not an achievement to say it cleared the bar but it definitely was a step up. I left it feeling like, okay, talking about the show in the future is going to be complicated, but it's not a bad show. I definitely like this episode a lot more. I feel like we're moving away from the setups and into the payoffs. We're getting a much clearer direction of where it's going. And I like that. I like the Motley crew that's being assembled. I like that a lot of the main characters aren't just one and done. We're seeing Garza Flip. We're seeing Black Chrysanthemum. We're seeing 8D8 again. It really feels like it's coming into its own as a cast of characters in a world. It's building its own little pocket world in Star Wars. Uh, and I think that's awesome. Really enjoying it. Feel like we could have spent more time in the flashbacks over overall, but I am sort of glad the flashbacks are over just so we can see where the rest of the show is going. Uh, I'm I'm with everybody else. Finnick Shan, uh, please please step on me. Like again, I reiterate from from our episode with Calvin from First Steps, not even like in a sexual way. Like I just want you to step on me, please. Um, Ming-Na Wen does an absolutely beautiful job of acting this character. Uh, absolutely fantastic. Uh, I am looking forward. I don't know if, if, if maybe she should get her own show, but I am looking forward to more Finnick episodes because as far as the character development goes, this was one of the stronger episodes for individual characters. I thought episode two was stronger for development in general, but as far as developing these two characters and their relationship, I thought this one was really good. We definitely passed a turning point, and I am excited to see where the show goes from here. Well, Mel, thank you for joining us to go into ridiculous detail about these episodes. Do you have any pluggables? I know you want to point people to RuPalp's Pod Race. Do you also want to point people to where they can find you? I mean, if you want to find me on the internet for whatever reason, um, you can find me basically anywhere on social media at Melvin Culpa. Um, yeah. Uh, but RuPaul's pod race is, is where it's at. And then particularly your TikTok handle is I think oh. Runkle Rex. Yes, it is. Sorry. I totally forgot. I forgot that I have a TikTok. Um, yeah, it is uh, Grunkle Rex. Yes. I specifically wanted to bring that up because uh, Mel did an excellent TikTok on the treatment of indigenous peoples in the coding of the story a couple of days ago uh, from the perspective of someone who's of indigenous descent so I wanted specifically to highlight go check out Rupalp's Pod Race you can find them at Rupalp's Pod Race everywhere you can find them in your podcatcher it's very chaotic you will love it 
Uh, go check out Grunkle Rex on TikTok and Melvin Culpa on basically everywhere else. Uh, and Mel, thank you so much for joining us. Uh, in honor of RuPalp's Pod Race, I'm going to close out the show by saying good luck and don't criff it up. Waka waka. Waka. <laughs> oh my gosh. Thank you so much. I really appreciate this. This was really fun. Thank you for listening to Gold Squadron Gaze. Did we forget something? Email us at goldsquadrongaze at gmail.com. You can follow us on Twitter at Gold Squad Gaze, and you can follow us on Instagram and TikTok at Gold Squadron Gaze. Subscribe to us on YouTube at Gold Squadron Gaze, where we post this podcast as well as exclusive video content. Please join us next week and every week for another episode of Gold Squadron Gaze. It's not this campfire scene. How many campfire no, scenes are there? There are there are like two or three. <laughs> This episode was like, this is going to be our device to to tell you information is campfire.